As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Eleanor. As you have your copy of Scripture, I would invite you, hold a finger here in Matthew chapter 9. Um, find Hosea chapter 6. And also find Exodus chapter 34. So Matthew 9, Hosea 6, and Exodus chapter 34. And I want to take an informal poll. Um, if you have a paper Bible, hold that up. Okay. And if you have a digital Bible, hold that up. That's about a 50-50 mix. I'm just, all right, I'm just curious. I was interested. Because some of you, if you have a digital Bible, you're like, how am I going to get to all three of those places? <laughs> so Matthew 9, Hosea 6, and Exodus 34. That's a couple of places that we will be. But let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we ask your blessings on all of those little children who just went downstairs and on the leaders who will be leading them in your word. And Lord, we acknowledge you. We have even from the beginnings of this service, recognized our need of you. We have sung our praises to you. We've worshipped you in song. We've worshipped you in prayer. And we want to worship you in your word. And Lord, we would ask, please have your way in our hearts. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come among us. Let your will be done within us. Lord, it is the work of your spirit to communicate yourself to us. And we need you. We need you desperately. And I pray that those of us who know you would sense you speaking to us. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see what you want us to hear and see this morning. And Lord, if there's anybody listening who does not yet have the spirit of Christ dwelling within them, let today be the day. Let today be a day of complete surrender. Let today be a day of new beginnings and new life. And Lord Jesus, we ask you, in all of your power and wonder and might and mercy, be present in our hearts right now. As we listen to your word, let us hear what you would say to us. And please help me in preaching. I would be faithful to your word. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So where have we been? We are continuing through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we have been following Jesus uh, from uh, the Sermon on the Mount all the way through the, the beginnings of his ministry. We've watched him exercise authority over, over demons, over distance. He's exercised authority over his disciples. He's exercised authority over storms. He has exercised authority over evil spirits. Um, and that authority then last week we saw extends to the forgiveness of sins. 
And today, we are going to see another application of that forgiveness of sins because what we're going to see is that um, you're going to meet some problematic people in the text today. I'm going to read it again in just a minute in case you have, have forgotten what you heard. We're going to see some problematic people who meet a merciful Savior who listen to an invitation from Him to follow me and then they go away forever changed. And I pray that if you're here, if you're a problematic person, if, you're, if your life is filled with problems, if you have difficulty everywhere you turn, if you have distress and anxiety, if that's all around you, this is for you. Maybe your life is just filled with, with mess, filled with sin, filled with conviction, filled with guilt, and you are in need of, a, of having your sins forgiven, then this, this word is for you. And if you have heard the call of Jesus and you're walking with Him and you're weary and you need to keep walking, then this is for you. And so I pray that whatever circumstances you find yourself in, you will hear Jesus loves messed up people. He loves problematic people. He loves people in problems. He is a merciful Savior. But He issues a command. And it is, follow me. He speaks with authority, not suggestion. And so if you're on the fence, if you're playing in the world, if you're dabbling in sin, today the words of Jesus would say, follow me. Make up your mind to completely surrender to me and follow me. And then, praise God, he gives us the spirit of Christ to dwell within him in order to do it. He does not leave us alone. He gives us Himself. And so that's what we're going to see. So in, in Matthew, let me just read those verses again. Verse 9, Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus passed on from there, and that takes us back to the previous story where Jesus has healed the paralyzed man who was brought in, dropped down in front of Him. And Jesus' first words to this guy who could not walk was, your sins are forgiven. And then we see him uh, realizing the full effect that his sins are forgiven. He's accepted by Jesus. And Jesus said, so that you all know, everybody on this planet will know that I have authority to forgive sins. I want to say to you, get up and walk. Because it's a whole lot easier to see if the Word of God works when you see it happen than if you hear me say your sins are forgiven and you just don't know if it actually takes place. So he provides us some empirical evidence to know that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. So if you're, if you're listening today and, and there's a particular sin you're struggling with or there's, a, there's, a, there's some rebellion that lingers in you, I, I want you to know Jesus, He is the one who can heal that. He is the one who can speak into your life. And so Matthew is going to give you a little testimony. Today's a testimony day. Um, it's been a busy week and my wife's told me, I've been out of town all week and my wife's told me, well, maybe today's a testimony day. It, it is, but it's Matthew's testimony. So let's read Matthew 9 one more time. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at his tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And then Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold, 
Many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, when Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So this is Matthew's testimony. It's his story. Uh, Jesus calls him. He's walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And this, this story is also told in Luke chapter two, sorry, Luke chapter five and Mark chapter two. So you'll find a fuller account, Mark 2, Luke 5. You can, can read it there. But as Jesus uh, passes along, he calls Matthew. Now, Luke and Mark both tell us he calls Levi. So a lot of people stumble. Who is it? What's going on? Bible again contradicts itself. No, it doesn't. He's called Matthew and he's called Levi. I'm David Todd. There's Paul who was called Saul, right? We have Peter who is also called, anybody? Yeah, there we go. The rock, right? Cephas. So, so Simon Peter, the Cephas. So there's, there's multiple names. It's the same guy. No confusion, no need to stumble or be distressed. He's Levi. And so Jesus calls him and he says, he's sitting at a tax booth. He's a tax collector. Anybody love paying taxes? You, just, you, you see the tax bill and you think, I wish I knew who wrote that. Right. Nobody loves paying taxes. And, and yet here in this particular culture, in this setting, Matthew is sitting at a tax booth. He's a tax collector. That's a problem for several different reasons. First, it's a political problem. Matthew Levi, it could be that he was a Levite. Most scholars think that this Levi, has, he's, he is a descendant of Levi, of the tribe of Levi, who were to help in assisting the work of sacrifices at the temple. And yet he's not doing that work. He's changed his career, and he is now employed by the Roman government. He, he is aligned with the occupying authority who are the oppressors of Israel. That's a political problem. He has bad political alliances. He is politically corrupt. And, and the wise thing to do is stay away from those people. First century culture, he is viewed as being a political problem. Second, he's a religious problem. He is religiously problematic because in his tax work of collecting taxes, he has to deal with Gentiles. And so he's in contact with unclean people all the time. So he's unclean. He's ceremonially an unclean person because he deals with unclean people. He's doing an unclean business for an unclean government. Get away from the guy. The second problem, it's the religious problem. Second, a third, it's the social problem. Now, if, if you've got a guy with bad political alliances and he's also religiously unclean, you don't have lunch with him. You stay away from him. In fact, the Mishnah, which is a collection of the sort of the commentaries of Jewish teachers in applying God's law, taught you cannot go out to eat with him at all, an unclean person, and don't invite him over to your house for lunch either. Both ways. Don't take him to lunch and don't you uh, go to his place for lunch. Tax collectors were terrible. 
pariahs. You can think of them as perverse. You can think of them as parasites. That's how they were viewed. And so here's Matthew taking money from his people. And and the problem with tax collectors, they're greedy and they're selfish and they always overtax. Right? They have to pad their wallets a little bit. So if the tax rate is 3%, well, they just make it 4 you know, so you've got a little extra financial security. They were corrupt in every sense. You don't hang out with these people. And what does Jesus do? He stops and talks to the guy and says, follow me. What, what? Think of your worst enemy. Would you invite him to vacation with you? That's what's happening here. And Jesus says, follow me. What is Jesus doing? He's off. He's been in the sun too long. It's a little too hot. He needs to take a break. But he says, follow me. And what's even crazier? So what does Matthew do? He follows. He gets up and follows Jesus. He actually obeys. Now, as we have, we're reading this section, because we've split this up, one of the things in a literary clue of what Matthew is doing is the text actually says, he rose and followed him. Do you see that? Matthew 9, he, he called, Jesus said, follow me. And he, he rose and followed him. Now, the, the same word, we just saw it with the paralyzed guy. You didn't see it because we didn't read that portion. But if we'd read all of this together, you'd realize the same thing that happened to the paralyzed man is the same thing that happens to Matthew. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. And then what happened? He got up. He rose up. Matthew is an exile in his community. He he is an outcast among his people. He has chosen a profession which puts him on the outskirts of family life. Nobody invites him. If you're an orthodox, concerned Jew, an observing Jew, you never invite him over. You don't have holidays with him. You don't spend time with him. He's, He's... Parsana non grata. Right? And Jesus now stops and says, follow me. And what happens? He rose up. What is Matthew telling? His testimony. What did he do? Something massive is happening here. Because now he gets up and Luke tells us he left everything. He did not, wait a minute, Jesus, let me get all the good stuff. Can I put it in my pocket here? Uh, Let me put some coins here. Let me get my wallet, we'll stuff it before I take. He left it. He left everything. Now, I was on a plane yesterday, and they tell you in an emergency situation, what do you do? Please stop and open the overhead bin, pull out your compartment, get your essentials, and run with us quietly, walk quietly down the aisle, and exit to the nearest door. No, what do they say? Leave everything behind. Don't grab your stuff in the case of an emergency landing. This this is an emergency. There's a spiritual emergency here. Matthew leaves everything. He doesn't need it. Why? Because he's now confronted with something and someone greater than all of his stuff. He's letting it all go. Now this tells you, what does this tell me? Matthew's not an idiot. 
He just didn't say, oh, let me just forsake my job. Let me walk away from a nice, secure employment opportunity. Let me deny every sense of security in my life. Let me just go follow this. I don't know who this guy is. I've never seen him before. He just showed up. He's got some nice hair. He's got a nice little crowd. That doesn't happen, does it? What's been going on in Matthew's mind in order for him to say, I'm in? He's been doing his homework. We know, as you, we've been reading this book for a little while, Jesus has begun teaching and preaching. His name is known. What happened every time Jesus comes to town? Everybody goes and gets their family members who are sick, and they bring him to him. The word has spread about who Jesus is, and Matthew, he's still sitting at his tax booth because it's just what he has to do. That's life. But... Do you think he ever wonders in his deep, dark moments, I, I wish I had my family. I, I wish I could be with my people. I don't, I don't want to be cast out anymore. I'm tired. I, I need my people. And Jesus gives him an opportunity. What Jesus is saying without saying the words is, Matthew, I forgive you. He, he's saying the exact same thing that he said to the paralyzed man. Your sins are forgiven. Come follow me. I know who you are. Jesus is not unaware of his occupation. He completely accepts him and he says, follow me. Come. And Matthew, he's just waiting for an invitation. He's just waiting for a change in his life. Waiting for something new. And Jesus shows up and says, come. Come with me. And he goes all in, leaving everything behind. That's amazing. What are you hanging on to? What, what are you clinging to in this world? When, if there's an emergency, are you ready? Right? I, that thought crossed my mind. It does. Every time the plane takes off and lands, I think about that. I don't get worried in midair, but when I'm landing and taking off, I just think there's too, many, there's too much stuff moving and flying around. I mean, not that we're not moving in the sky, but there's flaps and the plane makes noises and wings creak and all kinds of stuff. You know, it gets quiet when you get up 30,000 feet. Everybody falls asleep. You know, we're all good. But when you're taking off and landing, I, I sometimes say, Lord, into your hand, I commit my spirit. <laughs> I, it's, that's just the way it is. So when, when, what are you, are you ready? Are you ready? We just don't know, do we? And here Matthew says, I'm, I'm in. I am going to follow Jesus, and he obeys. Some of you here just need to make up your mind. Do you want to follow him or not? Today's the day. Are you following a Savior, a merciful Savior? Or is Jesus some distant dude? Not quite sure. That's okay. Come and stay. You're, you're welcome here. If you're trying to figure out who Jesus is, you're welcome here. But yet here I say, listen to the words of Jesus, and he says, follow me. He's going to say it again before we're finished. So he now forgives Matthew. Quite convinced. Matthew rose up. He got up. He knows he's forgiven. What a lifting of the burden. And when that has happened, what do you do? When you have the burdens of your life are lifted, what do you do? You want to have a party? It's exactly what happens. Look at verse 10. And Jesus, as he reclined at table in the house... Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. <laughs> what Matthew does not say, 
The definite articles are really important. How many of you remember seventh grade English? You remember definite articles, the, right? Matthew says as he was reclining in the, at table in the house, that's a particular house. And Luke and Mark both tell us the particular house is Matthew's house. Matthew is hosting a dinner. Luke says it is a great company, meaning large, many, numerous, company of tax collectors and sinners who came over. That makes total sense, doesn't it? I mean, he's a tax collector. He only has fellow tax collector sinner friends. That's all Matthew hangs out with. It's all he knows to invite to celebrate with him. And he's just had the greatest day of his life. His sins have been forgiven, completely lifted. Jesus has said, follow me. You're forgiven. And he says, then come over for dinner, Jesus. Can, can we go? Let me host you for dinner. And, and by the way, can I invite a couple of friends? And the wording here, um, reclining with Jesus and his disciples, it really means Jesus is at the place of honor. Jesus is the honored guest at this this feast. And it's at Matthew's house. And you'll also notice, as Jesus reclined at house, verse 10, behold, do you you remember behold? I always, when I hear the word behold, I think of the Christmas story, right? Behold, angels in the sky, crack the sky. What does behold mean? It's Bold explanation or exclamation points in Hebrew text or in Greek text is, look, pay attention, behold. Matthew is saying to us, hey, get this. Is everybody you looking? Look at this. I want you to see this. He says, many tax collectors and sinners were there. So he wants you to know this is a big party. A, a significant number of people have come, and they're unworthy people. They're all tax collectors. They're all sinners. And the point is, it, this is a story for messed up people. It, this is a story for problem people. And Jesus is there right in the middle of them. And a, a huge company show up. And so you, you realize... Um, when in first century, when a large wealthy person had a huge meal like this, the word would have spread through the town that there, there's a party at the Demuzios and they're feeding every. Uh, there, there's not. The Demuzios are. Okay, Todd. When, when, a, when, they, when, a, when somebody hosted a party, the whole town knows it. This is a small community in Capernaum. Everybody knows it. And, and you go because you hope you get some leftovers. Right? Food is, is scarce, and when there's a large gathering in Middle Eastern culture, it's an obligation for the wealthy people to offer food to the guests. So people gather around. Do you remember Luke 7, when the, the woman of the city shows up at the Pharisees' house, who Jesus was invited to dine in? Do you remember that story? There's a woman who shows up. She, she heard the news. She's coming to sort of see if she can get any benefit from this giant meal. That's the same thing that happened here. Word gathers around. And what we see is not, not only are there many tax collectors here and sinners, but the Pharisees are also there too. The Pharisees show up. Word gets around. And so everybody's going to Matthew's house. Now, the Pharisees are not going to eat. They will not eat. They will be there, but they won't eat. But you'll notice Jesus is. Look at, they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. 
So Jesus is the honored guest and reclining at table. Middle Eastern culture, first century Jews would eat around a, a kind of a, a, a U-shaped table where the servers could come in in the middle. Uh, guests would lean in towards the center of the table with their feet out. Remember, feet are unclean. So you're, you're leaning in to the food and your feet are away from, uh, from the food. And so that the unclean parts are further away. And then the servers can can. can that's, that's what's happening. They're all leaning in for this meal. They're reclining at table with Jesus. Jesus is eating with the unclean people of the day. And so now comes the Pharisees. Verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they, they were there. They were watching. They're on the outskirts. I mean, I can imagine. I don't know if this has actually happened, but allow me, allow Todd to use my imagination. Sticking their head in the window like, what is going on in there? What's happening? They're leaning in. They know. And so they're watching. And when they saw what was happening and who Jesus was with, what did they say? They did not speak directly to Jesus. Interesting. They asked his disciples, right? Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? They didn't go to the source. They don't ask the question of the person they really should ask it of. They instead ask the disciples. It's really not a question, is it? It's an accusation. Why is your teacher, why is he doing this? Now, to give the Pharisees a little grace, they're confused. Okay, this, this teacher, and they call him a teacher. He's a very powerful speaker. He's been talking about the kingdom of God. And we're confused because it doesn't look like the kingdom of God. Not the way we understand it. Well, so... Maybe it's a question, maybe it's an accusation, maybe it's a little bit of both, but why is your teacher eating with him? Because table fellowship implied agreement. You don't sit down and eat with an enemy. You have lunch with a friend. I mean, today, when we leave and you go to have lunch, you're probably not going to go have lunch with your worst enemy. You're not going to invite someone unclean. But friends... Family, close people you're in agreement with, comrades, associates, yeah, we'll have lunch together. So this is implied agreement, and the Pharisees see all of these unclean sinner types, messed up tax collectors, and a bunch of them. And, and Jesus is in the middle of them. They're, what is he doing? Why is he eating with them? And, and notice this, and Jesus hears. Right? He, he answers. So he doesn't let his disciples stumble around. He jumps right in. Verse 12. When he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. We can make a couple of observations here. Ask yourself, what does Jesus think about sin? What is Jesus thinking about sin here? It's, it's a spiritual sickness. He says, these people that I'm with need healing. They're actually sick. And I just wonder, do you think of sin as a sickness? Do we, do we think of even sin at all? Do we, do we know what sin is? Because Jesus here says that there's some sickness here and I am sitting with them. Sin is a sickness from which a person's soul needs to be cleansed and cured. This needs to be eradicated. 
This needs to be done away with. This is Jesus' point of view. And secondly, he sees himself as the one to do it. He sees himself as a spiritual physician who who can take care of the problem and he makes house calls. He comes to where they are. He goes to where the sinners are. And, and you can, can you imagine the invitation of Matthew? Jesus, can I, can I invite some friends? I don't know, Matthew. Who, who, do you, who do you hang out with? I don't know if I can be seen there. I just, I don't know. But Jesus goes. He goes to a dinner with sinful people who are messed up because he understands I'm the one who can heal them. And that's what Matthew's been telling us. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. He has authority to clean up your sinful life and mine. And I wonder, is there any, don't, please don't raise your hand unless you want to. Is there anything within you you wish could be changed? I, I'm, sinfulness. Is there any sinfulness? And, and, you know, sometimes we struggle with sin. You know, outbursts of anger are sinful. Rage. It is sinful, right? Slander is sinful, right? Thinking evil thoughts is sinful. And Jesus can change our sinful patterns of thinking and behavior. He is the great physician. And Matthew has already mentioned this. He is the one in back in chapter 8 at the very, well, close to the end, 17. He says he He quotes Isaiah and points to Jesus being the one who takes away our illness and heals our diseases. The Messiah is the one who takes away your mess, your problems, your anxiety, whatever sinful behavior it is, Jesus can take it away. And he says, I have come to dinner as a physician. Now, what's incredible is when you're racked with guilt about some sinful thing in your life, when you sit down with a holy person, <laughs> can you eat in peace? Or does everything in your mind go, I, I, I'm afraid he'll bring up X, Y, or Z. I, I don't want to sit with him. I don't want to be near that guy. And yet everybody sits at the table with Jesus. So Jesus is a merciful physician. And look at the next verse. So he, the, the, he answers their question. The righteous have no need of a physician, but the sick do. And then he says, verse 13, Go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is a merciful physician. And he says to the Pharisees who just said, Why does your teacher uh, sit with tax collectors and sinners, and now Jesus says to them, I can actually teach you something. This is not a derogatory comment. It's a, can you go back and read the passage that I'm quoting? Is what he's saying. He's inviting a a little study. And and so, will you, I ask you if you would go to Hosea. Will you go with me to Hosea, chapter 6? Because I'm going to read what we find here. Hosea 6. This is a context of a rebellious people who are living in sin, have turned away from God. They're trusting in themselves. They think they have gotten it all worked out. And and Hosea says, uh, verse 1, and this won't be on your screen, sorry. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down 
and he will bind us up. Verse 3, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. And then verse 6, for this is God saying this, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What God is saying is, you're, you're, you're going to church, you're doing all the religious stuff, you dress up nicely on Sundays, um, you, you look great, you're, you're giving to the offering, you know, you're donating stuff, but your heart, it's nowhere nearly in love with me. Your heart is far from me. You don't know me, actually. You look like you do, but you don't know me. And, and come, let us return with our whole hearts. This is a call to deeply loving God from the depths of your being. Loving Him with all of you, not just looking like it. it this, is, this is a call away from pretend religion to really having a transformed spirit within you. That's what this is. And so God is saying, I desire mercy, steadfast love, is what I desire. And mercy is an incredibly sweet word. How many of you know, if, if, well, let me ask you this. If you had to describe yourself using one adjective, what would it be? So you're in a small group and it's time for an icebreaker and everybody gets to go around the room and say, okay, uh, one adjective to describe you, what's the first word that would come out of your mouth? You don't have to answer. But as you're thinking... What's the one quality you want to be known for, right? Because if you're sitting in front of a group of people, you want, you want to look good, right? But what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about yourself? And we could ask the question, what's the first word that comes to the mind of God when he begins to describe himself? And you find it in Exodus 34, because when Moses asked to see the glory of God, God says, I will reveal my name to you. And then when God describes his name, what we see is the first word out of his mouth is merciful. So verse 5 of Exodus 34, the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. You'll see it in all caps. That's Yahweh. It's God's personal name. And, And now God's going to explain his name He proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God, what? Merciful. I am a merciful God. Does that not blow you away? He didn't say holy. It's not what he says. He is holy. Holy is holy, holy, holy. But that's not the first word God uses to describe himself. He, he, He could have said just He doesn't say just. He says, I am merciful. Part of my glory begins to shine out in this world with mercy. And if, what is mercy? Not receiving what you do deserve. Mercy is God withholding from you something you rightfully deserve. And since we're all sinners, we know what we deserve. Maybe we don't. Sometimes I wonder, do we even realize we're sinners? Because the Pharisees didn't. They thought they were good. They were confident that they were righteous before God because of all that they had done. They were completely content. We're good with God. And, and Matthew 9 would say, Jesus has nothing to say to you. If you think you're righteous 
in yourself, in and of your own doing, Jesus does not, he doesn't speak to those kind of people. But if you're, if you're keenly aware of your sinfulness, all of the brokenness that yet remains within you, and you, you want to be rid of that, and you can see it as a sickness, not as, a, well, that's just how I am. That's my, I'm, you know, I'm personality X, or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm type 14, or whatever. We have so many personality qualifications these days. Do you see sin as sin? As a sickness that needs to be healed? Because Jesus is the healer. He is the one who heals, and you can go to a man for healing, a God-man for healing, who is merciful, because he's going to come and say, okay, I understand. I, I know where you are, and, and I can help you. A doctor who is a good doctor does not say, well, Steve, I realize you have cancer, but it's okay. It's only in your abdomen. It's not, it's not everywhere. You know, it's just eating through your intestines, but you'll be okay. You've you got a little time. We don't ignore sin. A, a doctor does not ignore sickness. We cannot ignore our sin and think, I'll be all right. We can't. That will put you in spiritual peril. And so what do we do? We go to the one who can take care of our sinfulness. And his name is Jesus. And he is merciful. He is a merciful Savior. And, and look at the rest of, of verse 13. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came, what? To call, not the righteous, but sinners. And the question is, what is the call? What is Jesus calling sinners to do? What's the answer? He says, follow me. If Jesus is calling us, all of us, anybody, whether you're a Christian, you're not a Christian, he's calling you to follow me, which means you cannot continue in patterns of sin. You cannot continue to think your sin is okay. I, I'm not striving to impose burdensome guilt on you. If you're hearing this as, gosh, here we go, hammering on sin again. Well, when I see it in Scripture, it has to come up. What I'm calling you to is the pursuit, a relentless pursuit of a merciful physician who will transform your soul. And I know it can be done because Jesus does not leave us to ourselves to live the Christian life. What he does, he pours himself into Christians by the Holy Spirit. He pours himself into us to help us follow him. You want to follow him deeper? Do you want to follow him more closely? Do you want to stay close to Jesus rather than, hey, I'll hang out in the background. I'll hang out in the darkness. Or do we want to come in fully in the light and say, Jesus, I'm all in. Leave it all behind. Emergency situation. I'm, I'm taking nothing. All of me, I, I bring to you, Lord Jesus. Fill me with your spirit. Transform my life because he is the one who can change us. And he says something sweet. Revelation 3.20 says this. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to eat with him and he with me. This is a meal I would love to sit at. And, and here's a knock at the door of, can you let Jesus in? If you're a Christian, let him in a little more. 
Let him into the, the recesses of your heart and surrender completely to him. Let his spirit come in to cleanse and transform. And if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, do you want a merciful Savior to say to you, follow me, I forgive your sins. You can be forgiven. You can follow me completely because that's what Jesus says. I, I'm a merciful Savior. I'll come in. And John 14, 23, he, he won't come in alone. John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's what Jesus is saying. I, you, we can be at home with each other, but Come and to a physician who says, I will take care of your sin. I will take care of, of the things about you that need to be changed. I will give you my spirit. And so as you are thinking about what this calling is, as Jesus says, follow me. He is a merciful savior. He stands saying, walk with me, stay close to me, and I will work in your life. So go to him in faith. And I want to invite you to pray I want all of us to pray, um, including the worship team. Just stay seated for just a minute. We're just going to spend a little time in prayer. Because I know that the enemy would want to wear us down with condemnation. And yet you, the word of God is true. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So Father, we want to stop right now and invite you to speak into our lives. And Lord Jesus, if there is any sin that we are cherishing more than you, would you bring it to mind right now and give us the heart to confess it. And I want to invite you just to yourself, between you and the Lord, just to confess. We, we started the service with confession. We're going to end with confession because Jesus says, follow me. And we cannot keep clinging to sin and to Christ at the same time. Lord Jesus, help us. Help your people right now break this tendency within us to think that sin can dominate our lives. Give us holy desires. Transform us, Lord Jesus. Merciful, Lord Jesus, would you pour your mercy on us. Jesus, we praise you for bearing the righteous wrath of God the Father against our sin, for shielding us from the judgment that rightfully should fall on us. It fell on you. And Lord, I pray, would you overshadow your people with a, a love of holiness and a hatred of sinfulness would you work within us, Lord Jesus, by your spirit? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you transform the places in our hearts that need to be transformed? Would you change the places within us and the dispositions of our personality that need to be changed by your grace and your mercy? Would you be at work within us, Lord Jesus? And we cling to your words as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us 
of all unrighteousness. Lord Jesus, we're opening the door. Open and come in and cleanse. Fill us with yourself. Be at home within our hearts. We're asking you, let your kingdom come in our souls this morning. Would you let your kingdom come in our lives? And Lord, I also pray, let us be merciful at home today. Let's be merciful with one another. If we have been shown mercy, may we too be merciful at work, at school, when we're in the checkout line, or in every place we are, may we be merciful knowing that you, Lord Jesus, have shed your blood in order to give us the mercy that would cleanse our hearts and souls. Lord, we pray all of this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.